You're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I'm going to tell you something, people. As you know, I got married a month ago, and when I first started dating Joanne, I called her my girlfriend. And then we got engaged, and of course, I called her my fiance, even though sometimes I forget and call her my girlfriend, which I sort of was happy with because I don't like the word fiance. Maybe because it's three syllables, maybe because it's like fiance. I don't know. But now that we're married, it's only been a month, and I sometimes call her my fiance still, out of habit, and the other day by out of habit, I called her my girlfriend. I was buying her shoes, I'm going, and I said to the salesperson, I said, hey, by any chance, do you have a size six? My girlfriend wears a size six. And she saw my wedding ring, and she gave me the dirtiest look, like I was the biggest piece of crap in the world, and, and I just felt awful. So I have to get out of that habit. She's my wife, and if I ever call her wrong on the show, people email me at cooper at coopertalk.net and correct me. Anyway, we have a great show today. We have a, we have such a talented individual, great singer. She has a great new album. Well, it's an old album that's new. She has a great single that's just, the video's fun as all hell. She's also an actor. She's been in a great movie, Valley Girl. And she's a record uh, company owner. And my guest is Josie Cotton. How you doing, Josie? Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I want to talk about your career, but I want, first I want to talk about the video for Ukrainian Cowboy. It is so fun, and I'm someone who grew up with MTV and that whole generation. What, what made you make a really fun video? Because people seem not to make fun videos anymore. Well, when I was writing it, I, I was visualizing the whole thing in my mind so vividly. It really was real to me. And it, as I got more uh, you know, finished with the song, I realized it, it really had to be a video, that there was so much um, contradiction and uh, uh, fun and uh, kind of political uh, innuendos going on that I, I, um, I really had it in my mind. And I, I, uh, I got together with my producer who had worked on uh, Season New Hong Kong for me. And and he, had, he shared the same vision I did, and it, that made it really great. Now, you were someone who did, you know, the video for Johnny, Are You Queer? And now you did this video. What have you noticed about the difference in video making besides the cost? It's probably a lot cheaper to do them now. Well, you know, I uh, my videos were uh, canceled mid uh, the night before we were filming for, the, for my first record because Electra Records didn't think there was a future in video, which was insane. Um, everyone knew it was, it was the future of music at that time. And um, so I don't really have a lot of experience until much later Later on. I, I would say my video for From the Hip was one of the worst videos of the 80s. <laughs> I would easily contribute that. Uh, yeah, wish no one would ever see it, but uh, it's out there with this crazy hairdo I had. And... Um, uh, but and now I think it's a it's a loss. I think it's it's a real uh, tragedy that that art form has has diminished. And um, uh, I think they're like small movies. I, I they should be. I, I think it's it's such a wonderful way to uh, make a song come to life for people. Now with the song Ukrainian Cowboy, what was your thought process behind when you sat down and wrote it? Yeah. Um, well, um, I've been asked that a few times now. I, I, I think it really was um, just the times we're living in, and um, I was affected, and I'm affected as everyone is by the constant barrage of, uh, you know, news from a certain part of the world. And um, um, I had a cowboy song that really was only half written. And, uh, and the title just came to me when we were trying to figure out a, a name for the song in the middle of writing it and recording it. And I just off the top of my head said, Ukrainian Cowboy, because it just sounded good. But it turns out um, it was really prophetic in terms of the timeliness of it coming out right now. <laughs> this, this crazy period in the U.S. history with Ukraine, our connection is insane. I know, it's, it's great timing. Now, now, when did you start writing? I know you're from the, the Texas area, Dallas, I believe. What, did, you, did you write songs when you were a, a young woman, or when did you start getting into music? I really uh, started writing when I was 
nine years old, I w wrote my first song on the piano. It was called Meow Cat Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> one of the greats. Yeah. Unheard. <laughs> Will never be known or heard, but it was one of the great songs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't remember how it went, but I played it on the piano, and uh, my cats loved it. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, was, was your house a musical household? Were your parents into music, or was it just something you found on your own? Well, my, my, the, the, the man I thought was my father f uh, from my chi early childhood till uh, like nine years old, he was a ballet teacher. He had a studio, and um, he played music from all around the world. He had a collection, every country, uh, every indigenous tribe in uh, Eastern Europe. It was amazing um, collection, and he would play it nonstop, and I would dance to every country and I wasn't uh, really affected by that, um, and my mom was, you know, all country western, and I, I gravitated away from both of them. <laughs> really went in a whole different direction musically, but but there was music in the house, and it was either Dolly Partonish uh, or you know Tchaikovsky, uh, Russian fertility dances. You know, it was just extreme. Now, when you started getting into music, like as you got older. Who were some of your influences? Who were you listening to? Well, I um, I started loving singing when I was in choir. I, I had a a great love for that uh, you know part of school. And when I started uh, being influenced um, uh, in terms of you know being a, you know a teenager, uh, I would say the you know. Or my becoming of age, um, I would say the girl groups uh, had a big influence on me. I, I, um, I, I contribute some of my singing to um, some of those gals, uh, Ronettes in particular, uh, Dusty Springfield, um, um, uh, even uh, you know Wanda Jackson, all of those people. I, um, I was uh, Karen Carpenter. <laughs> was uh, one of the m most sublime singers. I think uh, they say her voice would soothe plants more than any other singer <laughs> when they would do these experiments with different types of music because it was the most perfectly, um, her, her vibrato was so perfect, like an instrument. Now, so you're in Dallas. When do you get in your first band? And do you, when you join that band, do you think that this would end up being your lifelong career? Um, I started uh, I started joining bands that would rehearse and never perform. <laughs> there were a number of those. <laughs> it was okay. We're going to start a band, and and then everyone had different musical influences, and it was nah, we can't do this. And that went on, and then I just started writing songs on my own and making demo tapes and uh, playing um, them for various people and. Um, you know, that was kind of how it all started. Now, what was the music scene like in Dallas at the time? You know, because I, I grew up near Philadelphia, and Philadelphia has always had a great music scene. And I know Dallas is probably, I'm not too familiar, it was probably a lot more country, like you said, your mom liked. But what was the scene for you, and what scene did you want to get into in Dallas? Well, there was a big blues scene in Texas, and um, I didn't want to be in that, and I didn't want to be in country, the very cool music um, was coming a lot out of, of Austin, uh, thir uh, 13th Floor Elevator and Rocky Erickson, and Steve Miller Band um, uh, was also from that era, from that area and that uh, time. I have to say, there wasn't anything that was influencing me uh, in Dallas musically, <laughs> to be honest. Now, Sorry, is, Dallas. <laughs> is that why? Yeah, is that why you? Uh decided to move to L.A. What brought you to L.A.? Um, I knew that I wanted to pursue music, and L.A. was the place. That's where you went if you had a, a song in your heart and a demo tape on your, you know, tape recorder. And um, that's that's exactly what I did. More to be a songwriter, I, I was still not thinking in terms of being a singer, now, did you know anybody in L.A. when you moved? Because I always think it's funny. I lived in L.A. for 18 years. I just moved back east. And I know, I didn't really know, I knew a few people. 
but so I so they helped me find an apartment, and it's funny because I lived in a place that 15 years ago the rent was 385. Now it's like 1200. But did you know anybody when you went out there? I know a couple of people, and that really helps. I, I and I went with a girlfriend, so I wasn't a uh, you know lonely uh, face on the street, so to speak. I was uh, surrounded by people I knew a few. There were three or four, and that's enough to to keep you sane, I think. Now, where was you, Where did you first live when you first moved out there? I, I always love to hear people, because it's so different, and people who haven't lived in L.A. are clueless to different areas, but where was your first yeah. apartment? It's so varied, isn't it? Um, I first went to West Hollywood. Okay. I was right in the middle of West Hollywood, and um, I was told, don't go east of La Cienega. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so uh, that turned out to be you know, erroneous advice, but um, uh, that was the first uh, little neighborhood, and I loved it. I thought it was it was very fun. It was a lot of activity at night, and and uh, very colorful, lively. Now, so you're in LA. When do you get your first break? I'm sure. Were you working day jobs, or how were you, you know, making money as you were following your dream? Uh, well, um, I really was, uh, how do I put this, I was being subsidized by my family, okay. <laughs> that was uh, really how I was doing it, and I, I was just really writing and uh, trying to meet people and, and getting rejected uh, out of various record companies, uh, playing my songs, and, um, and that's what I was doing until I met my producer. Uh, in a bank line, in Hollywood and Vine, um, very Hollywood story. Yeah, I want to hear and, that. Cause I want to hear that because that's just funny because yeah. a bank line. Because now people don't people like the young kids listening don't even get in bank lines. They go to the ATM. No one has a clue <laughs> anymore. Yeah, but uh, that time you, you went in the bank line, and um, it was um, just a situation where I could feel these eyes penetrating me from behind and I looked around and there was this really cute guy um, about my age uh, staring a hole through me and um, <laughs> in this very bizarre smile and I just looked away uh, did not really know exactly how to handle it because it was so intense he was he was fixated on me and then I've told this before but it, something told me just to be more friendly in my life and do not be so uh, shy and and um, nice. So I turn around and I smile back and um, and then we you know started talking about music after we were out of the line and um, uh, you know he was a rec producer at a studio and I was a singer so um, that was kind of how that worked out. So you so you meet him uh, you go into the studio now. Did that help you? Because before you had said, you know, you were getting rejections. Did it help you get a little on the quicker path to getting a deal? Oh no, no, he was—he did not want—he—he uh, he did not want me to be a musician at all. He was uh, not happy about the fact when I told him I was a singer and a songwriter. That was not music to his ears. He—he he was very uh, upset about that, actually. So it was—it uh, was. It was a point of argument for us many times, and uh, finally, I, I convinced him that I was serious. Uh, he started teaching me about songwriting because he, he was really a master of the craft of songwriting, and I was still trying to learn um, more than I knew, and um, it became like a teacher-student uh, kind of situation, and then... Um, and uh, and he wasn't interested in my singing, and it just happened that they had a demo tape that they were doing for their publishing company, Warner Brothers, and it turned out to be Johnny Are You Queer? And I said, I'll sing that demo, and my boyfriend went, no, you won't, you won't. <laughs> what? And his brother, his, his, his brother said, what harm could come of it? It's just a demo tape, and that, that turns out to be what was signed. Uh, that's the record, was the demo tape we made for Warner Brothers. Now, what was your feeling when you got signed? I mean, you know, you're a singer, you know, you're a songwriter, you've gone through rejection. Were you just elated or were you also a little bit scared because now you have to put out an album? 
Well, uh, we made we um, made a situation happen with Bomb where we only did a single with them. They wanted to do a record, and my producers were thinking long term. They wanted to transition into a, a bigger label, and that sounded fine to me. I didn't know how these things worked, and. Um, so we did that, and it was exciting to, to be on Bomp, and then the song just exploded, and they did just a brilliant marketing, um, you know, on the song, and uh, I mean, the, the big thrill, um, the big thrill, though, was hearing it on the radio for the first time. Where were uh, you? That's, I was driving down Pacific Coast Highway. Okay. It was sunset. I was looking out at the ocean, and the, the song came on the radio. I think it was Rodney Bingenheimer was playing it and that was a euphoric moment like nah, just the whole <laughs> the, 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 the sun uh, just got extra beautiful and and um and that's i think every recording artist every singer that is a moment you remember when you hear it on the radio that's that's something you can't you can't ever lose that moment uh all of the other stuff is uh, it's questionable. It goes in and out of focus and uh, and feelings, but that is a very precise, specific memory for me. I always, yeah, I talk to so many musicians who say it's just unbelievable, and they all remember exactly where they were. And it's funny because in LA, a lot of them were driving in their car, and I think that's thanks oh, yeah. to <laughs> thanks to Rodney on the rocks. I mean, that's I think he was breaking a lot of these bands, so I think that was one of the reasons why people in LA were always hearing him. That's right, in their cars, of course. <laughs> I don't know where it would have been in New York, maybe uh, on the street. Or <laughs> I know, <laughs> there was, there was Walkmans, but you couldn't, you know, you didn't have cassettes right. back then. So, so the song blows up, and then now, now, how did that song end up in Valley Girl? And how did you end up in Valley Girl? Yeah, the, uh, the song had, um, had already um, kind of flown to its heights and was falling off the uh, the sky, uh, out of the sky a little bit. It, it had been on a, a bump and then ele Electra kind of killed the record. And uh, so uh, it, it was already on the decline in terms of its international notoriety. And um, I was a little surprised when uh, they wanted me for Valley Girl because um, I had been already banned in Amsterdam, and uh, <laughs> and the Catholic Church was going after me, and the televangelists were all up in uh, in arms about it, and and um, and the uh, the gay community in the in East Coast were not happy with me. Um, corporate backlash. There was a whole bunch, a series of events that happened that um, made me a little bit of a pariah in the music world. It was it was bold of them to, uh, just for the corporate, corporate backlash alone, uh, they could have just taken the easy route, but they really wanted that song in the, in the actual school dance. So that's funny in itself. And so, you know, I, you know we, we went ahead and did that, of course, yeah. Now, you, uh, what did you sing that song in a movie, or did you sing another song? Uh, and no, I think he could be the one, and Johnny were the two songs I sang. Now, how did they shoot that? Did they? Did you, was it like were you singing it there, or did they dub it in, or how did that work? Because movie making so different than the musical world. Oh yeah, we lip sync. Uh, we lip sync that, but the, the filming of it was in this school. I don't know if it was abandoned, but it should have been because it was it was leaking. It was so cold. There were no heaters. There was water on the floor. There was one heater between uh, I don't know sixty people and little floor heater. We were freezing. I had a mini skirt, and uh, it was absolute uh, like we were in a war in uh, East Berlin or something. It was it was really uncomfortable for two days. Um, uh, there was not really any uh you know pleasant moments in it except it was it was fun doing that but I, off stage it was like well, am I, is this a prison camp what happens next <laughs> is this a joke <laughs> so to the movie it's well it's it was a it was a cult hit you know i mean i love it deborah deborah's been on the show before and you know we talked about how you know what a great movie it was and just it, so many people loved it 
Did you did you feel like you got a new crowd? Because you said when you did it, your the song was a little bit on decline. You're a little bit of a pariah. Did did you get new listeners after the movie? Well, um, I'm sure there was a whole new crowd of people who had not heard it because it was banned from the radio. Also, so that was um, a certain crowd of uh, people coming of age, a, a lot of guys were coming of age around that time uh, who were affected by that movie. I thought it was a girl's movie, but it was really a guy's movie. It was uh, young guys trying to find themselves and, uh, uh, you know, the choices they make uh, in, you know, to be, you know, a, a, a creepy guy or, a, <laughs> you know, a, a cool guy. And, and, I, and cool, I mean, and not just, uh, you know, wearing cool clothes, but just sensitive and and, uh, and you know not following the crowd all of that all those messages were in that movie I thought that were very positive and uh, and um, you know that was um, that was a good uh, message movie and the music of course in it was fantastic I'm really so very proud to have been in that group of musicians now after that you, you have to make a follow-up album did you feel pressure I mean, because you're going back in the studio, and I know Lindsey Buckingham played on, on your, your album, so that says a lot. But what, what was your feeling going into the studio for that second album? Uh, doom and, uh, <laughs> and uh, terror. Uh, I, you know, I, it just, uh, it was always um, a lot of pressure with a, a giant corporation like that, and they had pulled a, a hit record for me, so I wasn't real thrilled with being on that label, and then they fired my producers, and they and they brought in Roy Thomas Baker to finish the record, which was amazing. I mean, he's he's like uh, an amazing producer, but uh, I I did feel like I was being uh, you know shoveled to the side somewhat, and um, so um, that was. Uh, you know, just kind of traumatic to lose your producers that you came from the very beginning with, and their and the record company said, "Choose, you either go with them or you stay on this label." And that was a really hard choice. That was really hard. And they were saying, "Just stay with the, the label. We'll be okay." And that was hard. Now, how did Lindsey Buckingham end up on the album? Because he was working with Roy in London, and that's where we we finished up the record. And he just dropped by and. Roy said, play the guitar, Lindsay. <laughs> Very simple. Now, your third record, I may be, I think I'm correct, would have been Everything Is Oh Yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, I listened to it. I really enjoyed it. And Prescott's on Thank it you. and Brian Seltzer's on it. And it's as it, and it, it, it's from the 80s. And I'm a, I'm a huge 80s fan. When you made, why didn't that album come out at the time? I um, I have a hard time answering that question because uh, it's still confusing for me. But I think the main reason is that I I chose to walk away from it, and uh, I'd already been dropped from uh, Electro when we began recording it, and I was very uh, uncomfortable about going back into the music uh, industry uh, as a product. Um, with people who really didn't know much about music and didn't understand me in particular. So um, I had, in, people were making, you know, suggestions for me to come to certain labels and and, and I just decided to uh, not take that path. And, and um, so I, I pretty much just closed the door on that and uh, started doing other projects that were not similar at all to what I had done those last three records. Now, what were some of the projects you got into? Well, I, you know, I, for one thing, I started my own label so I could do whatever I wanted, and that was fantastic, and just out of love of doing it, I did a, a record of all B-movie theme songs um, that was wonderful experience. That's, that's my happy memories of uh, recording, and, um, John Waters wrote the liner notes, uh, Invasion of the Beat Girls was that one, and um, and then I did a, a, a kind of a cabaret, uh, uh, but really dark cowboy 
uh, someone described it, one of these critics, as my favorite review I ever got. They said it was like finding a, a severed head in the desert at, at sundown <laughs> in a trailer park. <laughs> and I thought, I love that so much. I have to keep going in that direction. That's, that's the kind of feedback I, I need and want. And uh, so it was a strange record and uh, with the, this wonderful songwriter, producer, Bill Ray, and uh, he had discovered the Del Rubio triplets. He was like a real artist, and I, it, it was a challenging as a singer and, and wonderful. And then I, I just started compiling records with various songs and experimenting, and I did an electronica record, and, and um, you know, just uh, I got to do everything I wanted to do. I, the only thing I, I didn't do was I was wanting to do a, a kind of a traditional country uh, record for my mom, and, um, but I, I still will do that. Now, it's so different now, you know, to start a record label because you just put stuff on YouTube or whatever. How did you go about starting a record label? Well, really badly. <laughs> really, uh, you know, this is my third one, and I have to say that a lot of the reason people didn't hear any of these records was because I didn't know what I was doing entirely, and... Um, but the thing was just, for me, it was just to get a record out. And what, you can't just make songs and it doesn't feel like anything's happened unless it's a record, or at least it didn't for me. So I would do a record and I, I, we put it out on various labels and, and do a little promo and, uh, and they'd get reviewed and uh, then I'd be on to the next one. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm finding out that there's, a, there's been a lot of monkey business with uh my music and people selling it illegally and then some of it never got you know, you know put into certain venues and I, at, the, at some point someone said you know you have to, my publishing company said you have to take everything down from the internet and start over and you need to put it on a, one label because there's a whole lot of people out there uh, are selling your, your, your music and so I thought well We'll just start another one. This would be my third one, Kitten Robot Records, and because um, we have a, a recording studio called Kitten Robot, and uh, it, it was it was uh, kind of a necessary conduit to to get everything out. We're re-releasing everything this in 2020, so that feels good. But we'll do it the right way. We actually have a real record person, so like. <laughs> Well, that's different. Well, now I got to ask you because you know you said you had the invasion of the B girls and you 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 were focusing on different kinds of music. How do you decide what genre should I say you're going to do, or does it just pop in your head that you go, "This is a kind of album I want to record"? Well, I I think right now I'm really interested in, in concept records and in uh, the Ukrainian cowboy uh, and. Cold War Spy, I did a lot of research and I loved doing that. I, I'm a history uh, lover. Uh, I, I study it. I, I watch so many of these documentaries and, and uh, about World War One, World War Two, and the, and the Stasi and all of this. And 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 um, that's been something I really didn't realize about myself that I could incorporate this love of ha I have of researching with music and and then make it visual into a video it's 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 very conceptual i, I don't know how else to describe it and um and i have a, another record uh, a concept record it's it's called uh i want to die don't you <laughs> it's going to be all it's a compilation of of the sadder darker songs that i've done but with new material uh that uh I'm just putting together. It, it's just the exploration of a thought that everyone has had, uh, and it's always an option. And it's uh, probably uh, there are better options, and it just explores that a little bit. So um, that's going to be the next project. It's funny you said you're a history buff. You know, I'm trying to become more of a history buff. And I was in my honeymoon in Croatia, and I was in this. Uh, the Red Museum and then this other fortress. And it's just amazing. Like they had tapes from even back from 1991 on the Serb Croatian War. And it's just amazing when you actually immerse yourself into history, how fascinating it is and how much more entertainment it can be than just like a crappy movie on HBO. Oh, I know. And, and they, they could, they could completely engage 
students now if they think would just tell the truth about history and go into it in a little more detail and and the, the amazing spy stories there are alone is uh, in ancient history my god the uh, ancient uh, you know Samaria and in in all of that is is uh, I think could keep kids engaged in a, in a really in a fantastic way that they're not right now because it's so boring history in, in school is so boring it's just numbers and dates and there's nothing uh you know fascinating for them i know it's true it's i remember in high school it was just like a book and you're reading a book at least now the a teacher can make a multimedia experience and kids would be like it would be their favorite class yeah and with music of the time and uh and uh, you know some of the art it, it could just be a whole and then why you know why it was that things happened not just in this date on this on this battle blah 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 just how boring I mean let's just put everyone to sleep now talking about history your third album was everything is yeah. oh yeah now what made you decide to, to bring it release it now and what was it like looking back at a songwriting from over 30 years ago. Yeah, um, well, it was uh, my publishing company uh, was at, was asked by Stranger Things for uh, songs for their show, which is takes place in the mid 80s, and they were looking for records that had never been released from the 80s, like you know, time warps, and and they mentioned that to me, and I I, I remembered that I had this record. Um, that I didn't know it, I literally didn't know if it was uh, still in existence because there were, there were like fires. I was out in an area that had a lot of fires and, and there was an earthquake and there was a landslide and there was a flood. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, some of the tapes were in my producer's garage. And so we, com- we found these tapes, they were unmarked, and, um, and it was this record. And we just started listening and... Um, we bake, you know, you bake them, <laughs> strangely, these two-inch, 24-track uh, tapes, and we were listening, and I, first I was like, I, I'm really not sure about this. I, it brings back really odd memories for me, and, um, and then at one point I just went, yeah, we have, we have to put this out. This is too good. And so, uh, and that was it. I really didn't expect the welcoming I've gotten. It's been wonderful. Uh, people are kind of thrilled. It's like going back in time for them and um, uh, which is a really kind of a wonderful gift, I guess. Uh, you know, you kind of relive uh, part of your life that is very happy memory for you. So um, that's been wonderful to hear people responding to it. I, I didn't think there would be any response. Honestly, I just thought, gosh, what, uh, what point is there to, to do this? But I, I just knew it was going to feel good for me to just complete that chapter in my life because it's always felt so like a story with no ending you know it was just always hanging like ooh, there's that it's just that happened <laughs> and uh so this feels very good to me it's uh, full circle now now what's your take on the songs now looking back i mean and, and you know i'm sure it's like anything things we do through life you know our personalities change whatever change when you when you heard those songs and i just said it you know, a certain industry, did, what did you personally think of it? Did you sit there and go, man, you know, these these are good good stuff? Well, I, I the songwriting I, I still thought held up, which was wonderful. Uh, the recording, it, it, there was no degradation in sound, which was a miracle. And, uh, of course, it, that record, and at that point in music, everything was drum machines, Lynn drum machines. So uh, it's a little, it was a little disconcerting, and we 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 toyed with the idea of, of going in with real drums, and um, but we really wanted to keep it authentic and uh, from that time. So we really didn't mess with the production of the era because it was a time warp, and we wanted to um, to just keep it like that. And uh, this, what what I guess surprised me the most was. Um, my singing had, had gotten so good at that point. I was such a better singer than when I started off uh, my first record. And I, I, was, I was kind of uh, surprised where I had gone as a singer, actually. That was the big surprise. Now, Brian Setzer's on the album. And uh-huh. 
who he's such an amazing guitarist, and the Stray Cats were so influential, especially to me back and in singer, the day. An amazing singer too. Yeah. Now, now, how did how did that come about for him getting on? And I believe is he on three songs? Yeah, three songs. He played guitar on a uh, uh, on one, and he sang on two. And uh, that came about because he was very good friends with Larson Payne. Larson uh, ended up producing a record of Brian's, and they wrote songs together. They were very good friends, and he he was uh, just in town, and he was dropping by, and uh, and offered to sing uh, and play on on these songs. And we were like, yes, of course, <laughs> please. And he went out and uh, was. It was pretty amazing how he uh, did four-part harmony in, in strange chords, uh, knew exactly what the chords were. One take, just did amazing um, singing. I was in awe of him, really. It was, wow, that's wild. I mean, how does he know that that's that chord and there's those notes? And uh, it, was, it was amazing to see. Now, what technically, and you can tell me this because you're a musician, what does it mean when people say it's the album's remastered? What does that mean? Um, mastering is the most mysterious part of music. No one really knows exactly except that you're supposed to do it. <laughs> and there's, there are some people who don't think you, you have to do it, and, and they don't. But... Um, everyone's superstitious about it. it it's kind of like voodoo people get to the point where they're going we're not going to have it mastered and then you get to the moment when you have to put the record out and uh, for real and then you're going well maybe we should just go ahead just in case there's really something there <laughs> and uh, sometimes i can hear it sound better and sometimes it sounds worse and sometimes i can't tell uh, <laughs> Paul Rossler, he did. We did our own uh, mastering at at our studio, and and then we had it mastered, and it sounded exactly the same. So um, I don't know. That's a that's a very uh, uh, it's almost like a superstition with uh, people. I I just don't totally know if it's a real necessary step, honestly. Now you had mentioned uh, Invasion of the Bee Girls, and now you're releasing that again in 2020 well we're re-releasing it and uh this time in, in a in a real manner not in a uh, in the way that i did uh we're uh we actually have a, a new song on there uh that we had to uh take off before because john waters had asked me not to release uh, one of his songs uh because no one had ever recorded it and, uh, before, and he wanted to do a compilation of Divine. Um, and uh, and so if, if no one's recorded it, then the, the songwriter can say, no, you can't. And that's what he said to me. And that's how he ended up writing my liner notes, um, uh, because he felt so bad. And uh, now other people have started recording it, so uh, the, the gate is open now. And so we... That's the new song on there. Female Trouble is one of the B movies, uh, one of the great songs from bad movies, <laughs> quote quote on great and bad. But um, and so that's that's different and it's a new order and um, uh, no one heard that record. It, it's it's an amazingly unheard record, even though it got a lot of press. Um, uh, I, I really am really uh, excited for the world to get to know this record because. The movies were just unbelievable, and the songs were also. And uh, we we did it with not one synthesizer. We uh, tried to do exact uh, replications of even the most horrible lyrics. We kept every every nuance going, and then improved upon uh, some of them because uh, they were just too horrible. So so um, that was just uh, you know we're working on volume two. Uh, right now, and so that'll be really fun. Now, how do you how do you find the bad songs? And do you have to watch all the bad movies, or does someone go, yeah. "Hey, Josie, you know, there's this awful movie, and there's this <laughs> awful song, and you got to watch it." Yeah. How do you find them? Yeah, well, at the time, there was this amazing store. I'm, sh I'm sure you've heard of it. It was Mondo Video. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and that was my 
that was my gold mine of bad movies and I would go there and uh, they would go, have you seen a girl in gold boots? It's really terrible. And I go, no, let me, let me have that one. And, and that was one of my favorite songs, theme songs. Um, uh, from a movie, and uh, they turned me on to a lot, and then I just, I just started. Wa I watched so many that I, I would have gotten on my knees uh, if there had been a, a, a theme song from some of these movies. Were just unbelievable, and uh, they didn't have a theme song, alas. So um, it's been, it's harder this time because uh, I think I got all the really great ones. Uh, if anybody has any uh, uh, songs they want to send me, I'm, I'm on. Uh, Instagram <laughs> or Facebook because uh, I'm it's it's a lot harder now without Mondo Video honestly they uh, they guided me in uh, in many ways um, uh, and and in order to see every B movie uh, I don't even know the extent of how many there are there's thousands of them I started watching it's like how long you have to watch the whole thing to see if there's actually a song it was like oh god that's, they're so bad even i couldn't like appreciate them it's like let it know keep going josie there's gonna be a song wait wait it's like no i'm in this battle with myself having to endure some of them but um i'm sure i'll i'll i'll, I'll get the right ones eventually what would you say and it's going to be a hard choice what to you was the worst movie you've seen? Because you can be a true critic on this because you've seen all the crappy ones. <laughs> what is to you, you think, your most favorite bad movie and your the worst? Um, my most favorite uh, bad movie. Well, um, okay, one of my most favorite ones, and it didn't have a theme song, but that's why I named the, the album after it. And it was Invasion of the Bee Girls, but it was B-E-E. -E. <laughs> and they were these beautiful female scientists who were actually bees <laughs> who killed men during sex for their blood. And that's how they made honey from the blood. I don't know, it's, it's some kind of a, you know... Uh, odd uh, plot line, but it, it was the most amazing uh, uh, story because they were like these really foxy. <laughs> they looked like nurses, but they were doc scientists, and so that was like, why couldn't there have been? Why, Josie? Why? <laughs> like that was the one. And then uh, there was a there was another one, the Alice in Acid Land, that was about this really bad acid trip, uh, and this girl. Uh, she falls for her uh, her French teacher, who is and, and they begin um, who is uh, really seduces all her students and and then gives them acid and this horrible <laughs> trip she has. It was so good and the, the camera work was. Uh, I, I, at this point, I don't know the difference in good and bad because some of the bad is so good I can't call it bad and uh, you know it just it starts to blur into something else. But. Um, yeah, I don't think they can make movies like that anymore. Um, B movies, they're, they're not bad enough, or or, or something. Something is is not workable anymore. It has to have been from for me. It's the ones from the '60s and '70s were the highlight of all of that, and then a couple in the in the '80s. But um, you know, I had to throw a little Russ Meyer in there too, although. Uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill is in the Museum of Modern Art, and it is a, a work of art. I, photographically, <laughs> it's, it's a crazy plot line. And um, I, I discovered a lot of badass women in, in these movies. That was one of the big surprises, that it was over and over, even some of the uh, Latin ones, um, so there was a, uh, the Aztec mummy versus uh, uh, these, you know, these Mexican wrestlers, <laughs> and um, and 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 the 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 Aztec mummy was a female. And it was the the females were so powerful. It was it seemed like it was the only place where they were really badass was in these movies. It wasn't happening on the screen or really in life, but in those movies they ruled that world. <laughs> Now, so cool. see, that's awesome. Now, now, did you? I know you had a show October fifth. Did you play any music? What, what? Did you play any music from the album, or what did you play? Oh, I, I played a big variety. I, I definitely, I played uh, "Get Off the Road." She Devils on Wheels was one of my favorite. That, that's probably one of the worst, but I mean that in a really good way. Uh, she Devils on Wheels, and uh, uh, once again, it's women 
killers and um, who kill men. <laughs> There's a plot line that keeps recurring in these movies. But, uh, yeah, we did that one. And, um, uh, you know, I, I did a little bit from each of the different records, uh, uh, every every single record. Now, how is it to be back? Well, I know you did some of the, uh, the Lost in the 80s tour, right? I did a little bit of that, and I was supposed to do... We were all primed to do the, um, like, Totally Festival uh, in uh, 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 Long Beach, I think it was, with, uh, you know, uh, just an incredible uh, 80s musicians, and um, um, that uh, got canceled the night before, but at that point we had learned all these 80s songs, which I hadn't played in so long. I really didn't play He Could Be the One anymore, or... Um, uh, you know, a lot of that music, and so um, we had learned it all, and I was like, well, let's just keep going, because I'm now I'm like falling back in love with this music. It was really fun to to, to go back there, and, um, and then I started doing a couple of the 80 shows, and we're doing a show uh, in December, two shows with Missing Persons, just uh, me and um, uh, Dale. Now, what's it like on stage for you now? I mean, is it is there that energy there? I mean, and the crowd, you know, you see, because 80s are so big now, and it's great because I'm an 80s. I'm going to pull out my parachute pants, which I don't have, but I wish I did. Um, what's it like when you're on stage now? Do you do, you, do you that energy from when you started out, or what's it like? Well, uh, yeah, it's a it's a rush. It's a, it's a rush to go out there, and as, as the show goes on, I, I, I'm getting more energy from the crowd as it goes on it um you know it's it's a wonderful feeling to have people so happy to see me and and uh and really knowing all my material i, I was a little surprised um that they knew the new material too and uh, it was a huge age range they were you know very young people in their 20s and uh, all the way all the way up and uh but you know, very rock and roll, and it was fantastic. I I go into another state of mind on stage, and I guess that's a, a common thing. And um, and I really uh, I'm a big ham, I guess. I guess I loved it. <laughs> now now you're re-releasing your records, but are you working on new stuff now? I mean, do you plan to start working? Do you have that spark in music? You know, do you want to produce new stuff, maybe with an '80s tinge, or are you working on a new projects right now? Uh, just on that, uh, I want to die, don't you? <laughs> because I decided to go ahead and completely kill my brand forever with that record. But um, I'm just kidding. I, but uh, I am working on that record, and I, I just I really do it song by song. Right now, uh, I'm I'm so busy doing interviews right now. It's a little crazy, and um, and all these shows coming up. Uh, I haven't performed in a while, so it's uh, it's. Uh, a lot of work to get uh, everything, you know, perfect and, um, and you know, have it be a great show and um, production and value and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going in and, re and recording and I'm not writing uh, every day right now, which makes me sad. Um, I just can't, you know, balance everything at the same time. So people are really good at... <laughs> You know, juggling many uh, balls in the air, I kind of have to fixate on what I'm doing. Just a few things. I can't. Uh, I can't extend myself like uh, I would like to be able to be getting up and writing and then recording and then doing everything else. But right now I'm focused on just getting people to, uh, I guess, remember me uh, from before. Now, here's something. A quick question I want to ask you. Um, being a performer, you know, who's played for a long time, when you perform live now, does it throw you off that people are always videoing it? Does that scare you as a singer? Because, you know, you, you people can just post that stuff. I hate when I go to a concert and people are videoing because I'm like, just watch the damn concert. That's why we're here. And it's always some guy standing in front of you who's taller with his arms up. And I saw a girl with an iPad at a concert recording it. What is it like as a musician when you go up on stage? Do you see those all those cameras? Because we used to light yeah. lighters. Now they have cam. They have apps with the lighter. But what's it like? Yeah. Your viewpoint? Yeah, I, I'm not crazy about it. Um, uh, I don't 
I don't think that sometimes the, the things that they get and post are the best sound and not representative of the, the energy in the room. And, and uh, sometimes uh, it sounds pretty god-awful uh, when you hear it. Uh, so that's not my favorite moment to listen back and watch I, I, if I can turn the sound off, I'm I'm great with it. <laughs> Sometimes if I hear it, um, I mean the bane of a of a singer is the monitors, right? The, if you can't hear yourself, um, and uh, that's that's awful when you, there's sound coming out of your mouth that you don't know what that sound is. You could be like screaming <laughs> in Japanese and you don't know it because you can't hear yourself. So <clears throat> it's a little uh, queasy feeling when. Uh, that's going on. I, I'm thinking about getting those really crazy moni ear monitors that burrow into your ear <laughs> where you can hardly get them out. But the monitors um, situation makes it hard to, uh, you know, to totally have confidence in the sound uh, and answer your question. I don't like the, the cameras. No. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Josie. It was great talking to you. Um, and uh, now, you said you have Instagram. What's your Instagram? It's Josie Cotton Official. Okay, and now where else? And I believe you're, you have a Facebook page. That's Josie Cotton Official. Yeah, uh, Josie Cotton, and then I, my website JosieCottonMusic.com. Okay, well, and that's me. Well, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm reachable. I'm, uh, I'm very uh, approachable. Well, people, go follow Josie. Look up her music. Buy her albums. Just listen to her music. Have fun. Enjoy the new album. I really enjoyed. I listened <laughs> to it the other day. And if you like '80s music, because it's from the '80s, it's not someone trying to redo the '80s. It's from the '80s. And if you like Brian Setzer, you got to listen to it. And Prescott Niles is on the song too. Anyway, people, so. Check out Josie. Uh, check out my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 750 episodes up there. You can email me at cooper at coopertalk.net, Twitter at coopertalk, Instagram at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.